Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 12th, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. 45 minutes of unedited, unscripted, and so far, uncensored commentary on Canada's issues. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. I'm back. Welcome back, brother. How was the hunting trip? Uh, unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> Damn. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's weird out here. The, uh, the elk are just not showing up, and it's, it's, um, it's weird. Um, I mean, there's, there's a few things that, uh, the weather's been weird. Um, so I think that that's, that's part of it. Uh, they, where we go hunting is, is pretty remote. And so it's, there's a few ranchers up there, but it's pretty remote where we go. It's about a 12 hour drive from where I live. And, um, uh, so when we were up there this time, I got phone numbers for the ranchers so I could call them next time before we leave to find out if the elk are even there. <laughs> so, but, um, but cause like last year, like there's so many elk up there. It's, it's usually like, like a three day trip with one day up, we get our elk the next morning and then the next day we leave and come back. Right. Like that's, it's like there's a, like a thousand tags that are given out every year because it's there's just so many elk up there, um, and that's what happened last year. Uh, this year, they're just not even there, and uh, so. Uh, but like I said, the weather has just been really strange here, and and obviously, I mean, we're going to talk about that, and um, uh, and I think that that probably has a, a lot to do with it, but. There is also, uh, I was talking to a butcher and, um, he said that, uh, he, he told me something I, I was, that really took me, really took me aback here. And that's in one year, he had a single native man bring him 60 moose. Wow. And that's legal in Canada because natives don't have to follow hunting regulations. That's correct. They can go year round. 60 moose in one year. And he had another native fellow bring him 42 deer in one year. And in, uh, and now, and I found this strange because it was before this that I actually heard that the moose populations in our in our part of the country here, in this uh, in the Okanagan, well Thompson Nicola Okanagan region, which is uh, like Merritt, Princeton, Kamloops, um, you know Salmon Arm, Kelowna, Penticton, that area, that our moose populations are really suffering right now, and and. They're trying to figure out why. And nobody is talking about the fact that there's someone who killed 60 moose in one year. And that is a massive amount of animals. Like that's, you, 
Like that's that's like three herds of like three elk herds, like 60, 60 moose, right? So I mean, you can you can imagine how how much that would affect the birth rate when you take out sixty moose in one year. So I mean, you could you could decimate a population by doing that, and that happened, but nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah. So, all right. So, what we're going to talk about today on the show, we've got updates from British Columbia. Uh, Christmas tree shortage. Yes, that's what you said. Healthcare. Is it time for restructuring? Should Canada boycott the Olympics in Beijing? And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's just start with a quick update on BC here uh, after, you know, our flooding and, and all of that. For sure. Okay, so there's a, a few interesting tidbits. Um, the Coquihalla, which suffered some massive destruction, um, is going to be partially open uh, in early January. Wow. Yeah. They had three bridges wash out and they are going to be ready to open with partial. I believe what they are going to have is uh, some alternating one lane sections. It's probably still only going to be open for emergency vehicles only. Like or emergency or essential travel, I believe, which is uh, uh, and I don't even believe that having a, a, a healthcare appointment in Vancouver is good enough. I think you have to fly for that, but it's, uh, you know, the, the, the transport of goods and, um, and emergency vehicles. So if you need to like if, if you have to be transported down to Vancouver for, you know, emergency surgery or something like that, that, that it's all, it'll be open for that. But, and I believe that, that, that it's like uh, at, at these bridges, that they're going to have probably alternating single lane traffic for a while. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's shocking to me that it's going to, that it'll even be open at all in any capacity uh, by early January. And so that, that that's really impressive. Um, there, the, the Fraser Canyon, the, the number one trans Canada highway, that's not, going to be open at that point i think they've been focusing their attention their their the attention and uh and um at the bulk of the operation on getting the coquihalla back up so uh yeah wow uh, amazing i mean i i i said i didn't see how it was possibly open for a year um boy was i wrong that's that's impressive well, and not just you. There was other en- engineers who had said the same thing as you that it would be at least a year to get that highway open, and uh, maybe now they can just sort of retool their statement to say, you know, at least a year before it is fully opened, and yeah. not you know partially like they're doing now. Well, and I think most of us said that, including myself. I mean, uh, I said that I th- I thought it would be open to you know single lane alternating traffic of some kind by summer um and then fully open 2023 and i and i and i stand by the fully open by 2023 
I, I really don't think that it'll be open uh, this year, like 2022. Uh, but I'm probably wrong by the sounds of it. <laughs> I mean, getting it partially open by, by early January is, is just a, a marvel of engineering and, and construction. I mean, that's, it's unbelievable. And uh, my hat's off to the crews that are doing it. It's, that's impressive. And, and I mean, the same thing, same thing with uh, the, the, the rail companies, because uh, I believe it was CN or CP, one of the two anyway. I mean, there are only two, but CN or CP or both, I can't remember, had their, uh, had the uh, the trains running to Vancouver one week after um, after the flooding. Yeah, that was CP. And then CN just last week got their, their track fully functional again. So. Yeah, I, unbelievable unbelievable and those those guys they need they need to you know to hear that what they did was was unreal and and and, uh because one of my my cousin's husband was on on the crew for cn and uh so i mean that was damn impressive what they did yeah very much so yeah and um and other than that, I mean, I got into Merritt uh, on my way up and on my way back from from hunting, and um, it uh, it's pretty pretty devastating. Um, I mean, you go, you just drive down any any residential street there, and there's just giant piles in front of each house of all the stuff that's been that's had to be discarded from inside the house. Um, it's it's really uh, sad, really sad. Um, I'm kidding, especially being your hometown. You know, that's got to be a, yeah. a little heart wrenching. So. Yeah, and uh, and something that Merritt is doing, I, I don't know who's calling the shots over there, but I I've, I was told by uh, uh, a good friend of my uh, of mine uh, who lives there that the city is not giving business licenses to out-of-town contractors. And there is way too much work there for just contractors from Merit to be able to handle. Uh, it's, I, I don't understand what's going on. I hope that's not true, but from what I've been told by other people, it is true. Um, I mean, people need help now. They need to get their houses livable now, and they're not handing out uh, business licenses to contractors from out of town. And I know myself, I put my name forward, uh, so that I could help people clean up their yards and, and all of that. And, uh, I've never received a response. I've tried contacting them multiple times. They, they won't return my, my messages and I'm not even looking to get paid. I just want to help i just want to get over there and help for free even and um and i think you know i i just i wanted to do it through the proper channels so i don't get in trouble or anything like that but i think i'm just gonna say you know screw it and just go over there with my with my equipment and just help people because the city's not getting back to me i mean they they 
they handled the the crisis really well, but the the uh, recovery doesn't seem to be um, uh, running as quite as smooth. But well, that's too bad. So, yeah. uh, all right, so let's move on and talk about our good friend Omicron, which to me has now become a punchline, and I think it's hilarious that the government has talked about quarantine hotels and testing out the yin yang and Canadians Canadians you get it Canada because Canadians are just flaunting it and saying um, no I'm not going to go to the quarantine hotel and they just aren't showing up and the government right now has no mechanism where they're even checking to see if Canadians have gone to these quarantine hotels and the media the, ever the fear merchants are still pushing that oh there's a rise in Omicron cases the data, because I like to follow the data, the data is showing, and you pointed this out too, that Omicron is really no worse than the common cold. So um, stop promoting a third jab to stop the common cold, folks. I'm really getting tired of, of, of government. It's not about a disease anymore. It's not about a virus. It's about control. And I'm, I've had enough. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm we were talking before the show and and i'm i'm we're we're heading you know to disneyland for christmas and and i'm just and i'm stressed up to up to here on 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 making sure that i've got all my documentation my apps my this my testing that this and that all in order because the canadian government is threatening like six thousand dollar fines if you're if you're not prepared at the border and uh and it's i mean we've i've seen news stories recently of people receiving six thousand dollar fines because the arrive can app won't load when they get to the cbsa agent oh my gosh and this one's ridiculous this one was up in windsor where this couple because um the airport in the U.S. is closer than Toronto, right? So they they just go across the border and fly from there to wherever they're going. Well, when they when they, they went to Costa Rica, and when they came back, like they had their testing done in in Costa Rica, and they get to the American uh, airport, they grab their their car and everything, and they drive to the border. They present their their testing, and they got a $6,000 fine because their test was from Costa Rica, not from the U.S. Oh, for crying out loud. Um, another one, they, uh, they got to the border. Their ArriveCan app wouldn't load. So they received a $6,000 fine because they didn't have their documentation to present to them. They said, we have it all on, the, on paper here. And they said, we need it on, the, on your smartphone. And now, first of all, I'm wondering if you have all your documentation in order and it's on paper, why does it have to be on your smartphone? Like what, what is it about your smartphone that they want so bad? And well, it just bureaucratic over bureaucratization. That's there's this country is the most over governed landmass in the world. Ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm, we're going, we're flying down there and I'm, thinking oh man like we better really make sure we have everything in in order here right 
So I'm looking at all of Canada's requirements for, for coming back. So we have to have uh, a PCR test, negative PCR test, within three days of leaving. Well, first of all, like, of coming back, like, leaving our, our where we are in the U.S. to come back to Canada. First of all, PCR tests are not uh, very accurate. There are, I believe it's like a 30% false positive. Um, so you've got to have this test done. You need to load that into your ArriveCan app, which you have loaded on everybody's phones because sometimes the app doesn't load when you need it. So then you grab one of your other phones that are in the traveling party here and you have to load it on there so that they can see it. Because and so because this is what a friend of ours who just got back from uh um from mexico told us she said get it loaded get like have the app loaded on everybody's phones because it happened to them when they when they got to customs her partner's phone would not load the app so they had to bring it up on her phone so if you're traveling make sure arrive can is on every single phone that's in your in your party so that you know it's going to load um, you have to have that. You have when when you register on the ArriveCan app. I'm telling you, this ArriveCan app is not um, well done. Let's put it that way, and it's very convoluted. You when you register yourself as a traveler on there, you have to have your healthcare number. You have to have your uh, your uh, your little vaccine card that they give you when you got your vaccine, you have to take a photo of that and load it. You have to uh, put in when you got your shot, what the shot, which shot it was. For both of your shots, you have to put, or and if you are, are a three-time jab receiver, you got to put it down all three. But the, uh, but the thing I found interesting was that. If you have my healthcare number, you also know that I've already been vaccinated. So why am I putting all this extra information in? Plus, I have to take a photo of the vaccine card, which has all that information on it, too. Oh, my God. So, I mean, like, what is going on here? Why do I have to put all this in there when, when as soon as they have my, my healthcare uh, number, they have all that information? So you have all you have to input all of this stuff in there. Now my wife was doing it on on her phone. I was doing it on my phone. My phone wouldn't. It just refused to save any of the travelers. Oh jeez. So now when we put the app on, so now I've had to register with my or uh, log in on my phone with my wife's login information so that I get all the information on my phone. It, it's just, it is a complete mess of an app. Uh, and, and not to mention it's an extreme uh, uh, violation of privacy. Totally. Um, because you know that app is tracking us everywhere we go. Um, now, 
And I know people are going to say, yeah, but so does all your other apps. Well, some of them do, but they're not mandatory. I don't have to have those apps and they're not government apps. Like this is a government, this is a government app that's been made mandatory when you're traveling that tracks everywhere you go. That's a violation of privacy. Now, going to the U.S. Oh, and now when you come back to Canada, you have to do an e-declaration rather than a paper one for, you know, how much you bought and stuff while you were gone. It, it's an e-declaration. Uh, so okay, that's new. Hopefully you have a smartphone because I know there are still some people who don't and they're, they're older, right? Yeah. Um, now the uh, going to the U.S., I need an antigen test that was given in the past 24 hours, a proof of vaccination, and my passport. That's all I need. I don't need an app. I don't need anything else. That's all I need to get into the U.S. Wow. Uh, so it's easier to get out of the country than it is to come back. Ridiculous. Yeah. It's nuts. And all of this over uh, uh, a variant that has not killed a single person on the planet. And it has not hospitalized a single person on this planet. Omicron right. is, is the most... In fact, they even said in a newspaper article where it's like the, the headline of the newspaper article was uh, something along the lines of uh, uh, Omicron uh, wakes us or makes, what is it? Omicron reminds us that the epide- or the pandemic is not over. <laughs> and, and then in the article, it says, as of now, uh, every case of Omicron in the world has been uh, asymptomatic or mild. And I'm like, no, if anything, Omicron is telling us that this is the beginning of the end. That this is the beginning of it just becoming a common cold or flu. I mean, if most people are asymptomatic and the rest are mild, and nobody's been in the hospital or died from it, I think that's a good thing. But we're treating it as if this is a bad thing because it's it's um, more uh, transmissible than Delta. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Because it means everybody's going to reach herd, because we're going to reach herd immunity with a, with a variant that isn't even like detrimental to your health exactly but it's a bad thing apparently apparently but what's also a good thing is the next letter in the greek alphabet is pi and with christmas coming up bring on the pie baby <laughs> yeah. only two more variants still christmas <laughs> yep no kidding <laughs> So, uh, All right. so let's, uh, let's let's move on to politics. Let's do a little politicking, shall we? So, um, and actually, this is still kind of related to the uh, well, not related to COVID at all. Um, BC 
in 2021, as of yesterday, has seen 1,800 overdose deaths. And since the pandemic began almost two years ago, that's two years ago, member Canada, 2,300 COVID deaths. So in one year, which isn't over yet, we've almost seen as many overdose deaths in BC that almost, well, it's, it, it far exceeds the COVID deaths because, I mean, COVID, we're looking at 1,100 a year as an average. We've got 1,800 overdose deaths so far. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the the craziness of all this. And you remember back at the beginning of all this, I believe it was May of 2020 when you and I were talking about this on our show, that I I was super frustrated by the fact that it seems like the only deaths that matter are COVID deaths. Um, it doesn't matter that the measures we're taking to stop the spread which didn't work anyway, uh, we're causing a multitude more overdose deaths or accidental deaths or suicides. Um, and, I mean, our, our the average, like the, the typical month before COVID was about 75 I believe 75 overdose deaths a month in BC. And we're at 150 now for the past year. And, yeah. and, but those deaths don't matter. Apparently the only deaths that matter are COVID. And the fact that more people have died from overdose, uh, from drug overdose than from COVID doesn't, doesn't phase anyone. Nobody cares because they're druggies. And um, I argue that a lot of those deaths are most likely people who were not druggies and they were driven to it um, because of bankruptcies and, you know, losing their jobs and stuff like that, right? Um, And depression from being isolated from people. And uh, there's a lot of people with fragile minds out there that break easy because... You know, there's, you know, there's different stages of, of mental strength and, and health, mental health. And when people are close to the breaking point and all they need is a little push and they get a giant shove, it, you know, I mean, there is only one result, right? And, um, and it's a shame and it's, it's should be, this should be a stain on governments, especially in BC and the federal government. But nobody's nobody cares. Yeah, sad, isn't it? It is very sad. All right, so quickly we'll touch on on the Beijing Olympi- Olympics, and then we've got some healthcare to discuss. Now, yeah. Canada has decided to join a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics, and this has nothing but hypocrisy written all over it because Canada typically sends a very small handful of diplomats to any of these Olympics. And for once, Canada, I'm part of the majority. 56% of Canadians actually support a full boycott of the Beijing Olympics, as in don't even send the athletes. I can't imagine that happening. No, it won't happen. Because 
the Canadian government doesn't have the fortitude to do so. Um, right. Because everybody will, you know, there there will be a vocal minority saying, oh, this is punishing the athletes more than anything and all this. And I'm like, you know what? I bet there's a lot of athletes, especially what after what happened to the that female tennis player in China. Uh, I think there's a lot of athletes that would probably support the boycott. And, I mean, they'd be like, you know, I've been working for four years to get there, but... You know, some things are more important than sport. Like not getting kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. And not, you know, having to make public declarations with a gun to your head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Little things. Yeah. Like little things like that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and, and Melanie Jolie, of course. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I support. I support the, the boycott, obviously. I mean, but it's 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 such a um, it, it's it's such a minor show of defiance. I mean, it's it's not much. I mean, who cares? I mean, nobody's watching it for nobody. Nobody goes, oh my god, I can't wait to see Melanie Jolie on the TV at the Olympics. Nobody's saying that. <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody cares. Everybody's like, oh, man, I can't wait to see, you know, Team Canada go for gold, right? And, I mean, ooh, we don't get to see the foreign affairs minister. Like, nobody wanted to in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. So uh, I think that's all we need to say about the boycott. Um, I think we'll probably skip over our Christmas tree shortage unless we get time to do it in the end. Let's get into the absolute shit show that is Canada's healthcare system. Now, the government of Saskatchewan mused a couple weeks ago that perhaps it was time to enlist the private sector to help clear up surgical backlogs in Saskatchewan because they're huge. And we've, we've kind of referred to that, that part of it on the show before. Now, here's a fun statistic, Canada, and I hope you're sitting down when you hear this. 11,581 Canadians have died on waiting lists in 2020 and 2021 because of surgical backlogs. Now, Saskatchewan mused about using the private sector. And this worked well here about a decade ago when Brad Wall was premier. He had enlisted private clinics to contract out some minor electives, cataract surgeries, for example, um, knees and hips and whatnot. And they did a very good job. And until, you know, then they kind of took their eye off the ball and things sort of slid back the way they were. But the Fraser Institute reported during that time, the Saskatchewan government actually saved 26% on their costs of performing those procedures inside the public system. So as far as I'm concerned, there's room for these private delivery options within our public system. And we can we can use you know, our healthcare card as payment and they bill the government because that's exactly how it was done. And I know for myself, I don't care who owns the building. I just want to get taken care of. It happened in Alberta too, right? I believe so. Yeah, they they contracted private surgical clinics to uh, perform uh, hip and knee replacements because okay. the uh, 
because the um, the backlog was 18 months, I believe. And um, so they contracted private surgical clinics. And just so the people know, private surgical clinics aren't just, you know, uh, you know, surgeons just sitting around waiting. Those are the same surgeons that operate in the public system. But the public system only allows them to operate one day a week. Yes, you heard that right. Our surgeons in Canada are even our top surgeons, the ones that, you know, are world famous for, you know, being able to do uh, very difficult or leading edge surgeries. And when I say world famous, I mean world famous in the medical community because nobody's ever heard of a doctor. Um, <laughs> they... They only get to operate one day a week. So, so these doctors that are only operating one day a week go and work in these private surgical clinics and when they're contracted by the provincial government and they get to operate for multiple days of the week. And they cleared up, I believe it was in six months, they cleared up the 18-month backlog in Alberta. And as soon as they did that, the government banned private surgical clinics in the province of Alberta. See, that's ridiculous. And then that, that happened here with uh, with MRIs. Now, there, are, there still are private MRI clinics here in Saskatchewan and also in Alberta and probably elsewhere in the country, too. And what happened here was they, they made a deal as soon as the clinics opened that for every MRI you provided out of pocket for Joe Blow, who just wants to get, get it done and get it over with, they had to provide two to the public system. And the MRI provider said, fine, well, that's not a problem. And again, yeah, it cleared the backlogs from a year and a half down to when can you be here? And then Justin Trudeau came along and altered the Canada Health Act so that uh, so that's no longer allowed. They're either in the private system or they're or they're out. Or you know, so it's no longer a hybrid option. You're either in the private system or you're in the public system, but you can't do both. So guess what? Our backlogs are climbing again. Yeah, and there was one at Shaughnessy Hospital in um, Vancouver. When, because when, when everything is paid for by the taxpayer, there's a limited amount of money. And so the MRI in Shaughnessy General was only operating for 12 hours a day. The other 12 hours of the day, which were in the middle of the night, they were renting the MRI out to a private clinic. And they were offering MRIs uh, for a fee in the middle of the night for the other 12 hours. And they were shortening up the backlog of, of MRIs because they were taking people out of the queue. And when the public became you know, aware of it, they lost their collective minds and the government went, no, that is not going to happen anymore. And they shut that down. And now the, and now the wait for MRIs is, you know, 
get, gotten much, much longer because those people that were being taken out of the line are now back in it. And this is, it, it's this mentality that Canadians have that everyone must be equal. And, and it's like, and it's not that we all deserve the same care. It's we all deserve the same suffering. See, that's right there. That's that's exactly the right way to put it. Is yet yeah, we all deserve to suffer equally, and we need to turn that completely upside down. We actually all need to access care equally, but the government doesn't care. No, and I mean this is when 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 our our system is collapsing. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that our healthcare system is collapsing, and when when it's collapsing, you don't say. You don't reject anything that is going to make it better, but that's what our governments do. They reject yep. everything that makes our that, that has the chance to make our healthcare system work better, be less expensive, and get better results. And they reject it every time. Yeah, you know there was a, a doctor who was on with uh, Andrew Lawton a few weeks ago, and. I think we'd referenced it on the show at one point. And this doctor had said like, yeah, he said health, the wait times are awful now because so many resources are being diverted. He said, if you face two-year wait lists before COVID hit, get ready for five-year wait lists once things get, get back in the system. And that really hits home because you think 11,500 Canadians dying on wait lists is bad. Wait till there's five-year wait lists. That number is going to triple. Yeah. Oh, I know. And, and and the first thing that we did when COVID came is we canceled all these surgeries and screening tests and all of these things that could save people's lives. And there's there's really, I I, I mean it's it's an absolutely insane, just insane. And our and our system is collapsing. And like and I, I said, I I truly believe that it is, and and I really do. I think our system is collapsing. I mean in. In BC here, we decided to fire 4,000 healthcare workers that that weren't vaccinated. Well, in Quebec and Ontario, they abandoned that because if they did, their system would collapse. Well, BC's system is collapsing because of it. I mean, and, and don't forget, they're not just nurses or lab techs or doctors that they fired, right? They, they Most of the people that were unvaccinated weren't even the frontline workers. They were the 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 hospitality staff and the and the cleaning staff and be, and without the cleaning staff you can't have uh, facilities operating. So my town, we lost our 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 hospital. Um, it's not like a it used to be a full fledged hospital and they've turned it into like an urgent, not an urgent care, but a. Um, uh, it has a lab, it has x-rays, it has, you know, all of those kinds of things, right? It's more like a, a, a healthcare center and right. not so much a hospital. And, and they did that with all the smaller communities in, in BC, you know, uh, a couple decades ago. And ours completely shut down because they didn't have the cleaning staff and the hospitality staff and they had, the, you know, a couple of a couple of the frontline workers weren't vaccinated, so they had to, you know, fire them and 
and so they shut they shut down our whole our whole facility. Wow. And we no longer have a walk-in clinic. And it, so if you can't get in to see your doctor because it takes three weeks to get an appointment, um, you have to either use the emergency room, which is only supposed to be used for very serious healthcare cases and, and life-threatening uh, uh, cases, right? The ER is not supposed to be where you go because you have a stomach ache. But because it takes three weeks to see a doctor and there's no such thing as a walk-in clinic anymore, that's what you have to do. You have to go use the ER. And it's not there for that. Nope, that's right. That's, and, you uh... can, and you can go there and you can sit there and wait for eight hours before you get in. I mean, it's it's completely asinine what's going on with our healthcare system right now and nobody wants to fix it because they might incur the wrath of our left-wing media that someone might get might get treatment before someone else yeah see and this is a good time kind of to remind you if you haven't yet listened to lewis's interview with uh Glenn Alderink. It's episode 142.0. He was one of those 4,000 healthcare providers who was fired. And he actually, the, what he's doing now is, I think, part of the future of rebuilding our system. So those of you who haven't heard that interview yet, uh, please download it when you're done this show. Yeah, and check out Ezra Wellness. That's the clinic that he and several other fired uh nurses have started and it, it it to me it's if there was one here in my town i would i would use it if i needed it because you know they'll come to you they'll make house calls and they'll they'll check your symptoms and take your vitals and everything and then make a very educated decision on whether you should go to the emergency room or if you should make an appointment with your doctor for 3 weeks from now uh, or, or if you, uh, or if you're going to be fine, if you just, you know, take a Tylenol or something and they'll come to you at three o'clock in the morning, if that's when you're experiencing your symptoms and, and it, 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 there, that is, that is the future and our government refuses to see it. Yep. And something else our government refuses to see secondstreet.org did a poll. And in that poll, 67% of the Canadians polled actually support private delivery of healthcare services, again, within a public system. And and 62% of those, those polled actually say they would support a parallel private user pay system. So it's media and government being behind what the people are thinking yet again. Yeah, and, and here's the thing that most people don't know. Is that eighty percent of healthcare in Canada is already privately delivered? Like your family doctor. Yeah, your family doctor. That's a private business. Eighty percent of our healthcare in Canada is delivered by a private business. Hospitals are the only thing in this country that are publicly run. That's it. Just the hospitals. Medical clinics, all that kind of stuff. 
Those are all private businesses. And they're, and, you know, and for the most part, a better run than the hospitals. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because the hospitals, of course, are the ones who take on the the most urgent cases. I mean, that's the whole idea behind emergency rooms. And it's the hospitals who do the, the major surgeries. So when we see what part of our system is failing, boy, you just opened my eyes a bit more, Lewis, because you're right. that The part that is failing the most in our system is the part that the government runs. Yep. But that shouldn't be any surprise to any of our listeners because the parts of our society that are failing the most are government agencies. Well, yeah, that's true. And we certainly I mean, rail about that a lot on this show. I mean, every, everything from child welfare and, you know, family services to um, – our judicial system to our healthcare system, anything that is run by the government is what's failing Canadians. Yeah. Wow. That, that is actually so true. So, uh, Canada, we're actually going to cover the Christmas tree thing just so we can leave on a high note. Hello. So, uh, I have to laugh because I heard a, a vendor even here in Saskatchewan where we've got that boreal forest covering one third of the province saying that oh, better get your real Christmas tree quick because there is going to be a Christmas tree shortage in Canada. <laughs> wow. Um, I don't see where we've got three billion trees in our boreal forest, how we come up with a Christmas tree shortage in Canada. Yeah, uh, just where I'm sitting right now, I can probably see... Uh, 700 million trees from right where I'm sitting. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> oh my God. Canada. Canada is something else, I tell you. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, to be fair, if Justin Trudeau had come through with planting 2 billion trees in 2015 when he promised he would, There'd be no shortage right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Crazy. So, um, Canada, don't worry about a, a shortage of Christmas trees. When I was a kid, we would just go out to Crown Land, which for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, Crown Land is land that is owned by the government, therefore belongs to all of us. And if you're out in the country, there is a lot of it out there. And we would just go get our Christmas trees from Crown Land. And it was legal because we own it. So, yep. don't worry about we, a Christmas tree shortage, Canada. We're going to be okay. Yeah, we do that every year, actually. We go out as a family and we, we look for our perfect Christmas tree out in the forest. Uh, I cut it down and then we have a campfire and we roast, um, we roast hot dogs and, and, uh, and have hot chocolate and have a good time and then we load everything up and head home. And it's a great day every year. We do that every year. Well, that sounds really nice, actually. There's a good idea for you, Canada. Take the family out, get yourself a tree, and have a little uh, little campfire. Yep. All right. Well, my friend, 
Uh, hope it all goes well getting across the border to Disneyland. And thank you for tuning in, Canada. We will probably talk again in about a week or so. Uh, we'll get one show in after the fiscal update once Lewis is back. And then you'll probably from there it will be our year-end show. So uh, yeah, I, I will be back on uh, December 27th. So I'll probably be able to get a show in around the 29th. And um, and then we'll have our year-end show after that. That sounds great. Well, until we meet again, Canada, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada.